And we're rolling, 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 yeah. We don't have the money for the rights to that song. Stop singing it. Stop. Stop. Oh, my God. Would they charge us for that? Well, I guess we're going to find out now. Patricia Hines. How are you? Oh, I'm really, really, I'm Tell them how you really are. I'm really sick, you guys. <laughs> you guys, last week we had to take the week off from Friday Night Live and the recording because I had just gotten a shot in my eye because I had, like, inflammation in my eye. And you have, like, you, you're gravely ill to this day. I think I have E. coli. But, like, that's not a joke. You actually no. really think you have it. There was an E. coli warning in my town, and I have been sick for over a week, and I never get sick. Look, I've gotten in trouble for making fun of New Jersey before, a place that I really love. I'm just saying Manhattan's never had an E. coli warning before. <laughs> Welcome to Obsessed with Disappear, the podcast where Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode of IDs Disappeared that covered their case. Well, first of all, I've watched this episode thrice because I watched no. it last week when we were going to record, and then we, yeah. So now I've watched this episode three times, so I am best friends with Tanya Ryder at this point. <laughs> Guys, if you're still on Facebook, I know some people aren't anymore. <laughs> Come join the Facebook group at Obsessed with Disappeared Discussion Group. And it's a lot of laughs. It's a lot of gifts. It's a lot of quizzes. Move it's on just... to the Instagram, Marsh. Move on to the Instagram. Or you can come join us on Instagram at <laughs> The Disappeared Pod. You can also follow me on Instagram oh. at Ellen Marsh. Oh. Yeah. It's been a minute since that's happened, you guys. Yeah. So. <laughs> I would give them my Twitter handle, but I don't really need more followers. Do you know what I mean? No, I know. You have an abundance of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stop there. You guys, every Friday night, we go live on our Instagram page. It's called Friday Night Live. We hang out. I get a little drunk. Uh, my hamster usually joins us. In full disclosure, it's my kid's hamster. I don't actually own a hamster. That would be super creepy. Super creepy. Girl, Disappeared Season 2, Episode 4, No Exit, The Disappearance of Tanya Ryder. Oh, my God. Where is she? A hardworking woman heads home to catch some sleep after her overnight shift. As far as I knew, Tanya was just going about her normal day. She would have been getting off work and then heading home. But she never makes it. All of a sudden, she's not where she's supposed to be. She disappeared into thin air, as far as we could tell. Without a single clue, her husband must search for her alone. Not knowing is enough to make you go insane. Tom is having the battle of his life. I was waging a one-man battle against overwhelming odds just to even get heard. To reach the shocking conclusion that turns into a media sensation. Whoa, what's going on here? Oh, my God. Well, in the intro, the first thing that they say is she seemed to disappear into thin air. I would like to rally to stop saying that. <laughs> because that's not... You seem that, really passionate about it. Yeah. Before I organize a march, tell me everything. It's just not a thing. Okay. She seemed to have disappeared into thin air. But they didn't. Nobody <laughs> disappears into thin air. That's actually not a thing. So I want people to... It's, she just... She, she disappeared into thin air. No, she didn't, Brian. She's somewhere... And it's someone's job to find her. I just don't want people to say that phrase anymore. Girl, it's our job to find her. We got to find Tanya. Thursday, September 20th, 2007, is an ordinary autumn day in Bellevue, Washington, just east of Seattle. 
The day unfolds on schedule for 33-year-old Tanya Ryder. Tanya actually had two jobs. One of them was at Fred Meyer in the health and beauty aid section as a stalker. That's an overnight shift. We meet Tanya's husband, Tom, and t Tom tells us Tanya had two jobs. She worked at a place called Fred Meyer in the beauty aid section where she, like, stocked, like, the beauty aid stuff overnight. And her other job, she was, like, overseeing a fitting room at a Nordstrom's. My, my big note here is, girl, why do people have to work so hard? I know. Well, it was very sweet the way they explained it. I mean, they said they were trying to build their dream house overlooking the Puget Sound, and they were just kind of hustling until they didn't have to anymore. They're like, Let's buckle down in our 30s, really work, you know, work our asses off, and Ugh. then we'll be able to enjoy our life later. It was it was very sweet. This is one of those things that Disappear does where they give us, like, too much information up front and then they fill it in later. But she leaves her overnight job at 9 a.m. The drive home is 20 minutes. She's going to sleep and then head back to the city for her day job, which is just too much work. The dream house can wait, you guys. We've both worked in the service industry where we Ugh. get, remember when you used to work at Sweet 16? Yes, of course I do. <laughs> they demolished that place. <laughs> you guys, Patrick worked at one of like the hottest spots in the early aughts. We're talking Lindsay Lohan. We're talking Paris Hilton. We're talking Samantha Ronson. Well, Sam got me the jobs. Not to be a name dropper, but Sam Ronson was like my first friend in New York, and I was so broke. I remember one day literally riding my bike to that job with a dollar fifty in my pocket. That was all the money I had in the world. And then you worked at that fancy place, but you worked till like five o'clock in the morning. It was crazy. I know. Stories for days. If you guys ever want to know what it's like to go out with Tara Reid for breakfast, send me a DM and I will tell you because I've done it. That story <laughs> is amazing. So is the story of my ex-husband getting in a fight with Samantha Ronson because she wouldn't let him sing karaoke. <laughs> Do you remember that? I do. Full on fight. I do. Sam came over to me and she goes, what's her problem? Anyway, all to say, we admire anybody who works the overnight shift, late shift. Totally. That's, that's a hard on your body. It's hard on your body. She was a dedicated worker. If she said she would be there five minutes early or 15 minutes early, she was there on the dime. So now we meet this woman. Her name is Jan Seidman. I, how do you say her last name? Sure. Okay, fine. <laughs> I've got a lot to say about Jan. I thought Jan was Tanya's mother the first time I watched it, and she is so completely unemotional the entire time. I was like, she obviously killed her. <laughs> like, this woman, is her own mother is so unemotional. She's clearly the murderer. And it wasn't until I watched it the second time that I went, oh, she's not her mother. She's just an author she's an who author. is writing a book about the case. Girl, I looked up the book. Not only did the book never get written, Jan has no credits to her name. Yeah. Jan never wrote a book. I I did, however, find a book that was published in 1821 called Oh, For God's Sake by a woman with the same name. I mean, look at you doing some research. <laughs> I got a little caught up in whether or not this book ever got written. And it didn't. My favorite part about Jan is her use of a Malfour, another <laughs> Malfour. So a Malfour is where you mix up a metaphor, right? Like, you know, we'll tackle that bridge when we come to it. Or, you know. <laughs> Wait, give me more examples. Give me more examples. <laughs> um, I can read them like an open can of worms. <laughs> More fun than a barrel of laughs. Like, just mixing up her metaphors. And she says... If she said she would be there five minutes early or 15 minutes early, she was there on the dime. She'd be there on the dime. I, I was like... I wrote that down, too, with a question mark. She was there on the dime? Yeah, I'm not mad at her. I just feel like no. the director could have been like, can you fix that metaphor? It's there on the nose. <laughs> 
<laughs> she could turn on a dime, Jan. Yeah. She could yeah. turn on a dime. I'm not mad. I'm just concerned. Anyway. Tanya and Tom have been happily married for seven years. Like many couples. Their personalities are actually quite different. They were essentially opposites. Tom is like a class clown, a talker. You know, he's always kind of everybody's best friend. And Tanya, he said very sweetly, was the other half of me. It was sort of like a perfect yin and yang. You know, she didn't speak unless she had something to say. What does that feel like? Well, my my whole thing here was like, what do you think if you and I went missing in a tragic podcasting accident? How do you think we would be described in the documentary about us? Two hysterical <laughs> women were out one night and then they disappeared into thin air. You'd think they'd never go missing because we can hear them from anywhere. The pair must be dead. Yeah, there's not enough chloroform in the world to shove into their mouths. For now, Tom and Tanya Ryder are living in a house in Maple Valley. Their heavy-duty routine leaves them with little time to relax. They pass through the house at different times and can easily go three or four days without seeing each other. We had to schedule a time when our days off matched to actually even say hello. That's pretty crazy. Tom tells us they could easily go three or four days without seeing each other. And I just wrote, no, you need a plan for this. I know. This is like custom made for somebody to go missing and be gone for days at a time and nobody know. Also, like, we work too hard. That's too much work, you guys. You don't have kids. Enjoy your lives. The dream house can wait. Your rental is fine. We eventually find out it has three bedrooms and two bathrooms. You need more than that? (laughs) Just work less. Just take one of the jobs. It's very true. They're both sort of in the service industry and also, I was trying to think about, you know, texting. Obviously, texting in 2007 wasn't what it is now. Guess but when texting was invented? When? 1992. I looked that shit up today. You think you're the only one with a Google machine? I didn't up until this point think you had one. So I'm super happy for you. I Googled all the ways you could fuck off. Oh, look at you. Who's my big girl? Who's my big girl? Do you think it's going to make it to the Facebook group? Do you think it's going to make it? Who's my big boy throwing insults at me? I'm proud of you. Anyway, my point is they both work in the service industry so they wouldn't have their phones on them. Right. I really, the reason I I Googled about texting was because it seems like they're not in communication that much. And we've talked about this a million times because like all these episodes were made in like 2007, 2008. Texting wasn't as big of a deal as it is now. And like, you know, now you and I text 8,000 times a day, even when we know we're going to talk at two o'clock. I remember back then texting cost. Yes. And it was hard. Yeah. It just seems like they're not in all that much contact. On Wednesday evening. Tom and Tanya enjoy a rare moment of togetherness. She was home that night when I got home, so we actually got to talk a little bit and have a little, you know, family time. Later that night, Tanya works her overnight shift at the grocery store in Bellevue. At 9 a.m. on Thursday morning, Tanya leaves the store and starts to head home. And because their work schedules are so crazy and they don't text each other that much, little did Tom know that she never makes it home. And like literally days go by before anybody realizes she's even missing. Three days since Tom last saw Tanya, he's on the job, clearing a housing tract in Maple Valley. The city was requiring 
the wetlands be cleared of all what they called hostile vegetation, which is like blackberry bushes. Hostile vegetation, that's my drag name. We're going to skip right past it. I love that in the reenactment, they got like hot 10 Tom to do the job. Also, this hot actor has no idea how to use a rake. He is so daintily using this rake, it's as though the actor is me. <laughs> Ellen, when I go missing, I swear to God, you better get the hot 10 Patrick actor for the reenactment. I swear to God, if you get James Corden or Sean Astin, I will haunt you forever. <laughs> you will never know a night's peace. Never. You get that kid from Dawson's Creek, Pacey, whatever the fuck his name is. You get that guy. You understand me? Uh, are you, you know, you okay? I'm the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I've got Selma Hayek on contract for when you go missing. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. James Corden, my ass. Oh, James he's so Corden, cute. my ass. If I get one more tweet that's like, Patrick, you don't look at all like Elton John. You look like James Corden. You look like John Goodman. <laughs> you look like Ross the intern. Anyway, sorry. So Tom is on the job clearing a housing tract or whatever. Around 10 a.m., Tom's cell phone rings. It's Tanya's boss at her daytime job in Bellevue. She tells me that Tanya hasn't showed up to her last two shifts. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I'm pumping the brakes on this one. Did you maybe want to call after she missed one shift? I I mean, clearly this isn't Breckenridge, honey, because she she missed one shift. She just missed the one, though. Don't call her husband. Don't. But she didn't come at all. She didn't show up. Yeah, no, it's fine. Let's see if she misses two shifts. Don't, don't you think that's a little precarious? Just to wait. We know she missed one shift. My thing about it was that Tom, the husband, goes. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to get Tanya in trouble. Maybe, uh. Maybe she just overslept. Too much I said Tom overslept by two days, girl? Overslept by two days? I know. So Tom calls Tanya. She hasn't set up her voicemail yet. Clearly she's a sociopath. I wrote, this is the dark ages of cell phones, you guys. Yeah. So they say, now I'm starting to worry. I'm like, Tom, now you worry? Tom, sweetheart, I love you. I honestly want to leave my family for you. I want to move in. Like, I love you. I believe that you will take good care of me. You haven't seen her since Wednesday, girl. It's Saturday. So he drives. Wait, I love this part. Tom drives to their home in Maple Valley, thinking that perhaps Tanya is there. I make it to the door and I go, Tanya. No answer. So I go and I check the downstairs. I double back and go up the staircase. And we have three bedrooms up there. I mean, we have three bedrooms upstairs. So I check them all. And I was like, bragger i know what do you that is a dream house girl what are you talking about you've already got your dream house tom so he's freaked out he calls 911 he says i haven't heard from her and these 911 calls listen to the calm 911 what are you reporting my wife didn't show up for work last night and she's not home and i haven't heard from her in two days he's everything I know. that we are not. I know. He is calm. He is giving accurate information. He's not being hysterical. The 911 operator is calm. He's calm. I'm like, she's missing! His initial call wasn't to file a missing persons report. His initial call was to find out if any reported accidents had been in the area. I'm not showing any injury accidents in that area, but I can connect you with State Patrol and you can check if there are any injury accidents on the freeway. The 911 operator tells him there are no reports of an accident on the highway either. 
but this doesn't bring Tom any relief. So he decides he's going to like head to her second job. So like remember, she had been at the overnight shift and now he's going to go to like the department store where she's in charge of the changing rooms. And so he calls 911 again en route to the department store and they say they're going to send a cop to meet him when he gets there. Minutes later, Tom arrives at the department store where Tanya works. He meets the store manager and they start talking before the police arrive. The manager tells Tom that Tanya is due at the store within the hour for her regular shift at 1 o'clock that day. Oh, and then so 1 p.m. comes and goes. Tanya is not there. Remember, it's Saturday. The last time they talked was Wednesday. Tom now knows something is really wrong. The cop gets to the store, and he's questioning Tom, like, what was she last wearing? Have you guys had any fights? Tom is cooperating, obviously, and they determine that the overnight job was the last place that she was seen. So they call the grocery store, and they actually, like, track down the security footage of her leaving. The tape showed Tanya leaving walking into the parking lot, apparently normal. No one was following her. They do have her leaving at 9 o'clock in the morning, Thursday the 20th, and getting into her car and driving away. She didn't look stressed like she was being followed. So this is where my anxiety started to spike. I know. So because everything appeared normal to her leaving Fred Meyer, nothing appeared to be suspicious. The cops are like, we're not going to help you. You can go to some other cops. I you know. You go to like the county cops if you want to, but like, we don't think this is weird. So the grocery store jurisdiction couldn't help them. So on the way home, Tom calls the cops from like the hometown and they take the call. It's their jurisdiction. If whatever's going to happen, it's going to be up to them. My wife is missing. My wife's name is Tanya Ryder. He goes through the story again, and he couldn't find any record of her being in an automobile accident, so there had to be some other explanation what had happened to her. And he was quite insistent. Something else is going on here. You need to help me. And so he's trying to get them to take a missing persons report, and they're saying they won't take the missing persons report until he calls the hospitals and the jails and the morgues yeah. to see if she's there. When they said that, I was like, I'm sorry, Brenda. Isn't that your fucking job? <laughs> totally. <laughs> But he does it. So he goes out. He calls the jail, some more hospitals. She's not there. He calls back. And they're like, yeah, still not good enough, girl. We're actually going to need you to call all of her friends and family. Yeah. He's like, she doesn't talk to her family, which pinning that, I'd like more info on what that's all about. But he's like, I hadn't talked to her family in years, but I called them and no, she's not there. They don't seem like they have a big circle of friends. He calls the friends. She's not with them. So he calls back and he's like, I've done everything that you've asked me to do. Can you please take this police report? They declined for a third time because she doesn't meet special criteria. Is the person suicidal? Are they being treated for a mental health issue? Are they elderly? Is there some sort of suspicious circumstance that surrounds their disappearance? We all need to move to Breckenridge, Colorado, because there's no special circumstances in Breckenridge, honey. When they say that they don't meet the criteria for a missing person, I'm like, I'm sorry, what is the criteria? I'm pretty sure it's just one. <laughs> be a person <laughs> and two be missing right. like, what else is the criteria besides being a missing person and so now you guys they're four days in four days into this thing no one is looking for her so tom decides to take matters into his own hands he's gonna get the media involved i just love it tom is thinking of every angle and he goes i figure i'm gonna force their hand i figured I'm not going to let him not look for my wife. I'm going to call the media and make it loud and messy. Now he's speaking our language. <laughs> Why have you and I not opened a drag bar called Loud and Messy? We'll do that in our in our twilight years. Totally. What is it? Twilight years? Golden years? I don't know sure. what it is. <laughs> 
<laughs> Miami, Miami, <laughs> you've got style. Style. So here's the catch-22 with going to the media. But the news station requires a police-issued case number in order to run a missing person story to avoid inadvertently reporting false information. It's a catch-22 because they can't run a story without a case number. And on the other hand, Tom can't get a case number. I think this is actually a good policy on the media's front because it's like anybody could call the media and be like, oh, my friend Ellen is missing, and then you get a story on the 5 o'clock news. Right. It's actually a good idea, girl. Don't don't you worry. I'll be on the news one day. <laughs> you guys, the podcast Obsessed with Disappeared is missing. Can we get a, can we get a news story out of it? Or? <laughs> can we get a story? No, I understand that. I don't blame the media. I do blame, however, it's, it's the police's fault that they didn't give this poor man all he wants is a report so that he can go on trying to find his freaking wife. And we talk about this in every episode. Why is this different town to town, city to city? Why in Breckenridge are they looking at th- literally three o'clock in the afternoon he's declared a missing person? And in whatever the fuck this town is called, four days she's gone and no one is helping him. Now- they're not helping him. They're downright rejecting him. Yeah. They're saying they won't even write it down. Like, just writing it down gives you a paper trail. I know. In order to move, you know, God forbid there's a court case or whatever. You always, always need a paper trail. And they're not even helping him with that. He's not even saying get search and rescue. Right. Can someone just write it down? I just need it <laughs> written down. Put it on a post-it. All he can do now is try to search for Tanya on his own. I was just driving back and forth, uh, scanning the edges of the road, looking for any indication that a car had left the roadway. So he's literally driving up and down the highway. Because remember, like the idea is that something happened to her between her work and her home. So it's like 22 miles of highway. He's just driving up and back, looking for any tire tracks that veered off the road or oil stains on the highway or accidents on the side of the road. Like he doesn't know what else to do. He's just driving back and forth. He calls 911 again. He gets a different operator. What are we on? 911 call number six? Now, operator 65. Uh, Tom Ryder again. He calls in and, and we hear the call again. And the guy goes, Operator 65, how can I help you? You guys, Operator 65 is a fucking hero. I want a day named after him in this town because he agrees to take the police report. What's going to happen is we're going to list her, and if someone runs her name anywhere in the, in the country, they will know that she is missing and they'll call. And then Christopher says, Five hours later, a King County police officer arrives at Tom's home in Maple Valley. Wait, 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 wait. Maple Valley is six square miles. That's what did you, I'm like, did you walk there? It took you five hours? Like, on top of everything, you're made, this man wait five hours, which must seem like five years when you're waiting for something like that. The cop shows up and Tom, like, meets him outside. And, like, before the guy's got the car in park, he's like, if you want to search my house, you don't need a warrant, girl. Just go search the house. What do we need to do to move this along, girl? Yeah, he's so cooperative. The officer says, sit in the driveway while I go search the house. Boom. Now that they have a case number now, Tom can now get the media involved. And that's sort of what's going through his head at this point. So he offers a $25,000 reward. That's their dream house money, girl. I know. I was like, that doesn't seem like you have an expendable $25,000. Yeah. He prints flyers. They get flyers going up from Canada to Utah. And you know what? You know what the Maple Valley Police Department decided to do? Those little sweethearts. What did they do, girl? They decided to put a detective on the case. (laughs) So we didn't find anything that really told us she left voluntarily. Nothing that said she didn't leave voluntarily or had been a victim of foul play. So at that point, there certainly was enough questions as to where she was. So the detectives needed to do follow-up work beginning first thing Monday morning. Beginning Monday morning. Oh! 
Did they have a nice weekend? Yeah. Did you get to sleep in on Saturday and Sunday? You're going to start bright and early on Monday morning? You're on fire. Monday morning. Are you kidding me? So this is where we get into the, the cell phone records, right? So, like, they want the cell phone records. Tom is demanding they get the cell phone records. He's like, even though it's only 2007, girl, I know you can track where she was based on the pinging of the cell phone. And Garbage John the Cop is like, the thing about that, though, is that you need a warrant and people have a right to privacy. And they can't get a warrant without probable cause. Right. To which I'm like, I'm pretty sure his wife missing for five goddamn days <laughs> is probable cause. So someone from the grocery star, star? Who am I? A goddamn <laughs> leprechaun? <laughs> I went to the grocery star. But the situation is about to get far worse for Tom. Tanya's boss at the grocery store where she was last seen calls police to voice doubts about him. This is calling from the Bellevue Fred Meyer store because I wanted to get some information for somebody because one of my employees is missing. Um, something's not right with this guy's story. It's been five days. This woman's had nothing to say. All of a sudden, she's calling 911. Yeah. Being like, you really got to look at that husband. To which I said, would you care to elaborate, Karen? Like, what do you think? Give us at least your goddamn theory, girl. What do you think? Right. All she says is he's, like, suspicious there's something not right with him. Oh, there's something not right. The fact that his right. wife is missing. Poor guy. Yeah, maybe he, is, maybe he is a little off. So they bring him in. The police are like, yeah, actually, that's a good idea. We'll bring him in again. We'll have him take a lie detector test. But this time the questions felt super pointed. Yeah, because they kind of lied to him about what this was. Like they they said they wanted to clear up some like details and he gets down to the station and they're actually like asking him really pointed questions like, did you kill your wife? Right. So this now turns to him being super defensive. And remember, again, he basically describes an anxiety attack. I mean, he's like, he gets panicked. He's, you know, his mind is racing. He's exhausted. He's sleep deprived. And he's thinking like, are you guys suspecting me? I know. Like he just does doesn't like click for him. I wasn't fully aware of just how rattled I already was. It was like, this is it. They're going to be crucifying me down here. The other thing that I was thinking of uh, this whole thing too was like, if I'm Tom and I killed my wife, I would be over the moon about the fact that no one's looking for her. I would be thrilled. About, I'm not going to keep going to the cops and keep calling 911 asking you to find her. All you need to do is look at the fact that all he's trying to do is get people to try to find her to realize that he's not the one who fucking killed her, girl. Right. I mean, there's th- we could literally write a book on you should be better at this. Oh my God. The number of true crime documentaries I've watched and covered in my lifetime, every single human being is bad at murder. Yeah. You shouldn't do it and everyone's bad at it. No, I know. It's like Zumba. <laughs> <laughs> You shouldn't do it, and everybody's bad at it. (laughs) While following up on the lead from Tanya's boss, police are still pursuing a warrant so the phone company can release Tanya's cell phone records. This is something that took time and a tremendous amount of frustration that we couldn't get to those cell phone records. Finally, there's a break. A sympathetic judge signs the warrant and police are able to retrieve Tanya's cell phone records. A quote, sympathetic judge signs the warrant and says they can get the cell phone records. And I just had this image of this like four not sympathetic judges just being like, no, no, no. And it gets to the sympathetic judge and he goes, oh, look at you. <laughs> look at you trying to find your missing wife. Look at you, cutie pie. Give him a warrant. <laughs> he needs a warrant. Do you need a warrant? That's so dope. That's so dope. You need a warrant. <laughs> Oh. I, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. It's like a tickle monster. I'm gonna get you. Just 
a sympathetic judge. So they get the warrant, they get the phone records, and they, they say, like... The detectives were able to look at the records and determine which tower was accessed. They were able to narrow that down into essentially a pie-shaped area three to five miles out in a particular direction. They were able to narrow it down to essentially a pie-shaped area, to which I said, you can just say circle, girl. You can just say circle. I mean, pie, pie is more fun. <laughs> I thought that would get a bigger laugh from you. I was really proud when I wrote that joke. <laughs> I really thought you were going to think that was funny. I have to pee. I can't laugh too hard. <laughs> go take a break. Go, go pee. Okay, I'll be right back. Um, hey, you guys. Uh, well, Ellen is in the bathroom. Don't forget to wash your hands, you animal. Uh, let me tell you about our final sponsor this week. You guys, it's the podcast Generation Y. I've been listening to these guys for years. I'm obsessed with them. It is some of the finest true crime research and storytelling. And I'm going to let them tell you about their own show. Boys, take it away. How are you doing tonight, Aaron? I'm doing fine, Justin. How are you? I'm doing great. We are the Generation Y, and we've been around quite a while. Since 2012. We've been doing true crime, murder mysteries, conspiracies. Controversies. Wrongful convictions. Missing persons cases. Anything and everything under the sun. Here's what you can expect. They didn't know it, but they were 1,000 feet or so from where these three girls were being held captive. When he brings these young ladies back to his house, they would have this chain wrapped around their neck and their stomachs. And they're beaten under the control of a psycho. I mean, he lied about everything. Now you can't trust anything he's done. I think this is anyone's worst nightmare. These women were killed in one place and then taken and dumped somewhere else. That chaos, that unpredictability made him so terrorizing. The strongest evidence they have is the eyewitness testimony of a six-year-old boy. He placed his body underneath the house. I think this is less of a story about a monster and more of a story about survival. We're Generation Y. Look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. Hey, should we take my joke again? So Garbage on the Police Guy says that they were able to search down the, the search area into essentially a pie-shaped area, to which I said, you could just say a circle, girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you really rose to the occasion for that one. Oh. Pie. So at the same time that the cops get the cell phone records and like they, you know, they get the sympathetic judge says yes. Just a reminder, Tom is at the police station still being questioned. As detectives are grilling Tom Ryder, Police continue with the Maple Valley Fire Department to search desperately for any clues. The detectives were able to look at the records and determine which tower was accessed. They were able to narrow that down into essentially a pie-shaped area. Within this area is the highway Tanya Ryder takes on her daily commute. So we put detectives out walking down that highway looking to see what they could find. And, like, what's so crazy about this is that this is exactly what Tom, the husband, had been doing. Like, the night that the cops wouldn't help him, and he's just driving back and forth from her job to home. And so they're walking up this, like, this stretch of highway, and, like, Christopher tells us, they make an astonishing discovery. Now, I am watching this on the edge of my seat. I do not know what is going to happen. But we hear over the police radio. I don't even know they record this shit. We hear the actual police radio of them saying, we found the vehicle. Uh, we found the vehicle about a quarter mile south 
It was down an embankment right off the highway, like the highway that Tom had been driving up and down, that people are driving past all day long. The car had just gone off the highway in a way that wasn't very far off the highway, but was completely out of sight. They see the car down the embankment. They go to the car, and Tanya is in the car. They check inside the car to see if Tanya is alive. We got movement. County, I need an aid car, please. Okay. This is that missing female, Tanya Ryder, that was on the news. We okay. found her vehicle, and she's still moving inside of it. Oh, my God, this was a car accident. I think a car accident, and she's been trapped for this long. I was screaming. And then you hear, like, more people on the radio being like, girl, yeah. that's a girl from the news. We found her, yeah. and she's moving. You guys, Tanya is alive. She's been in this car for eight days. It's upside down off the highway, like, just off the highway. But in a weird thing where you like where you just can't see it, she's alive. It's been eight days. I know. It's crazy. So she's been there, obviously, with no food and water. I was like, oh, really? She couldn't go get the RX bar from her purse? Interesting. <laughs> of course she's been there with no food and water. She's a fucking hero. Christopher says, Almost unbelievably, eight days later, she is still alive. Christopher's shocked. I'm shocked. Like, you guys, we're learning no foul play. Obviously, Tom had nothing to do with it. She either got into an accident or drove off this, like, very busy highway at 9.30 in the morning during rush hour and nobody saw it? Yeah. And, you know, I thought about it and I tried to find some research to back up my theory, but... I'll bet she was tired. Right, but how did nobody see it? Yeah. How did, like, it's rush hour in, like, on a busy highway. But remember the Brandy Wells episode? You were like, if you passed by that happening at that exact moment, you would think, oh, God, did the car? I can't see. I'm driving. I'm on the freeway. I don't know what, you know. So people probably, like, didn't know what they were seeing. You know what I mean? Look, it's been a minute since episode one. I need people to know this about you. Right, yeah. No, and I apologize for that. I do. (laughs) But I'm a horrible person who doesn't turn their car around on that. Highway to see what's happening with an abandoned <laughs> car on the side, or or maybe for the eight days that she's missing and it's on the news, you could then be like, "Wait, remember that weird thing where I saw a car drive off the highway, but let myself wonder if I had actually just seen that?" Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe you remember then and then call the police. No, right? No, I mean you're right. Uh, I'm I'm horrible right. and I'm a horrible person and. And that's and that's that, Pussycat. Great. Can somebody get can I get your license revoked? You're a you're a menace to society <laughs> on the road. Keep your eyes out, Ellen. God. Okay. This is my face when you talk to me. You see that? You see that? It's a lot of teeth. Those can't be natural. <gasps> they are natural. Do you know that when people want to be really mean to me online, they call me Mr. Ed? Like they always like yeah, I've- I can't believe I haven't told you this yet. I had a dream last night that somebody went up to Prince at a club and said, you know, you kind of look like that Broadway actress, Ellen Marsh. <laughs> I had a dream that that happened. <laughs> That would be that would be my most shining day that I'm not compared to Prince, but Prince is compared to me. Firefighters carefully remove Tanya from the car. She has been without any food or water for eight days, 
and she is suffering many severe injuries. So obviously, Tanya Ryder was in this car for eight days. No water, no food, and she was essentially strangled by the seatbelt. But she's alive, you guys. She's not dead. I feel like strangled means dead. Does it? You know how, like, electrocuted doesn't mean dead? Did you know that? I, you can be electrocuted and not die. I thought the ED part meant you died. I mean, I see where your brain's going, but you're wrong. Okay. Um, but anyway, <laughs> at the time, obviously, her organs were failing. Her kidneys were failing. She dislocated her left shoulder. She fractured her ribs and her vertebrae, and her left clavicle had been snapped in two. I know. Her what, girl? Her left clavicle. <laughs> what? What'd I say? I think you said clavicle. I did not. (laughs) Rewind. Henry, rewind it. And her left clavicle had been snapped in two. She dislocated her left shoulder. She fractured her ribs and her vertebrae. And her left clavicle had been snapped in two. Ah, girl! My God! Why are you reading that like a serial killer? Clavicle snapped in two, girl? Could you take it slow for the gays in the room, please? I know. I'm sorry. It's so sad. I just Sometimes I feel like if I just like read it faster, I won't think about it. Totally. You know what I mean? A clavicle? I don't even know what that is or where it is. I just know that that can't... But um, also her leg had been so badly crushed yeah. that at one stage, the doctors thought they were going to have to amputate and sweet tom all he said was my wife is in critical condition and fighting for her life because of the way she was pinned and they're hoping not but they may have to take one of her legs the only thing i ask of them is to give her the best chance again he continues to be so sweet and devoted they say she woke up hours later and then on the documentary there's tanya the first thing i remember is waking up and seeing a nurse next to me and feeling very thirsty. I wasn't aware of what had happened to my body. I didn't really understand everything that was going on, but when I saw Tom, I saw my comfort space. I knew everything was going to be okay. Oh my God, you guys, I was hysterical. I mean, this whole thing that we've dragged out for 45 minutes happens in the documentary in three minutes, and I'm hysterical. I'm sobbing. I'm yelling. Like, this episode was so well made. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. And when Tanya's here and she says, you know, she remembers nothing. Yeah. She remembers nothing of the accident of the eight days that she spent upside down or on her side in the car. So some things in some of my research, I researched, she actually did remember a couple things. She remembered thinking, OK, this is this. I'm going to die now. Yeah. Like she says, she remembered thinking that and she remembered seeing her phone light up. Oh. There were some a little things that came back to her. And it, it's just, it's also sad. And Tom says very, very astutely, he says, She was in that car for eight days. All I know is no one else should have to go through what she went through. When the simple pinging of a cell phone could have led him to her an hour. I can't imagine knowing. I mean, they tell us at one point that had she, had it been a couple more hours, she wouldn't have lived. Yeah. Her organs yeah. were failing. And like for Tom, he was screaming at the top of his lungs. Go back and listen to those 911 calls where they're not taking him seriously. Yeah. They're being disrespectful to him. No one's helping him. He's doing this by himself. And like, of course, he's glad that they were able to find her. But without his like dogged insistence, she would have died in her car. She lived for eight days. I know. And it could have been three 
three. It could have been four. It could have been less than eight days. That pain and suffering could have been so minimal. And, you know, the sheriff department, they were just kind of like, yeah, uh, this was a goof. Because what happens is they say that like a week later, the sheriff holds a press conference to apologize to Tom and Tanya. We see the press conference, but we don't hear it. We see video of it, but we don't hear it. So I was like, what was actually said at that yeah, press conference? I girl? actually have I actually have a transcript of some things that they said that weren't <laughs> included. <laughs> now, this is what the sheriff, who's a lady, yay for you for being a sheriff and a lady, but you're yeah. still you're still a you know fucking dickhead. Um, <laughs> she said, "Congratulations for being a sheriff and a lady, but you're still a fucking dickhead." Yeah, <laughs> their apology was so not. It really was like ah. We goofed. We did we goof? We goofed on this one, right? Yeah. She's alive. Ugh. And they're just kind of like looking at each other. They're like, we goofed, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Just just be honest and say we goofed. Hey guys. You know what? I think honesty is the best policy. Yeah, we goofed. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that was their response. <laughs> And like every time, every time someone asks a question, they're like, ah, we goofed that too. Like they just keep saying goof over and over again. (laughs) This is the transcript of what the sheriff said. Hold on to your butts. You're going to get pissed off at this. Oh God. She said, could we have done more? Yes, we could have. I think we could have reduced Tom's sense of frustration and helplessness if we had done a better job of explaining to him <gasps> how the process works and been more been more specific in explaining what he could do in the meantime to help. <laughs> What? That is And then it's like again, would you care to allow tell me? I'd like to know. That is the most gaslightery nonsense I, I have I know. We should have done Yeah, you know what we should have done? Hey everyone, you know what we should have done? <laughs> we should have done a better job of explaining to him that we weren't gonna do anything. That's 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 on us. That's on us. Yeah. I yeah. I feel like he felt like we were gonna do something and we weren't. I wish we had been more clear about that. No, no, absolutely not. But they go, they do the talk show circuits, they go on GMA and they you know, the Today Show. It's a very, very well publicized story. Which is weird because I didn't I did not know this at all. Yeah, no. I mean it was in Washington. So who knows those states over there? But um I'm just kidding, love you, Washington. Tanya is said and said, I think it can be really hard to understand the recovery process especially if you don't remember something but what I've learned that's most important is that you need to face it I tried to bury it and it's not the way to handle things you have to take pride in what you've gone through and become stronger for it I think that's that's such a great way to live too because you know your feelings are always going to be your feelings they're not going to go away and ignoring it is not the thing so she's really she was in physical therapy as well as getting mental help for a long time and I just got to say that poor husband who never, ever gave up on her. You know what he did give up on, though? He gave up on the goddamn dream house. They are still living in that little town. But I, I hope that they are working less. I hope you all both only have one job and you can spend some time together now, girl. I know. I, I know. It is just such a sweet story. And this is our first real happy ending? I guess that's true. Right? I mean, she was in that car for eight days, girl. I know, but she's alive. We don't have to find her. It's not on my conscience to find her. You know, it's always on my conscience to find them all. Oh, you guys, we did see 
season two, episode four. This is my favorite one so far. This is my favorite one so far. I mean, it's just, it's such a great story. But also, fuck those police. Girl, don't say it was a great story. She was in that car for eight days. She's alive, Patrick. <laughs> She's alive. You know what? This story was really entertaining, you guys. I, if we could have gotten one more day out of her, I don't know where we'd be. Are you done? <laughs> I'm so sorry that they get to live their life together. Of course she was in there. I mean, it's like, you know what I mean? Ugh. It's hard. It's hard arguing with you sometimes because it's like, it's like. I just really loved the story of it. Like the outcome was fine, but like the journey was what I really liked the best part of it. It was really great. Drove right off the highway. It's nobody else's responsibility to look when they see a car drive off the highway. It's your firm position and you're sticking to it. Arguing with you (laughs) is like arguing with a pigeon playing chess. Oh, girl, tell the people about the Facebook group. The Facebook group. It's the Facebook group where we all are hanging out, <laughs> showing pictures, throwing some throwback pictures, taking some quizzes, having a good grand old time. Find us. You'll love it. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Disappeared Pod. We're there all the time. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you guys, by the way, for putting the podcast out on your stories, telling your friends, your social circles about us. It honestly means so much to us. You guys are I so know. generous with getting the word out. That's and true. we're just really, we love that. It's We're so grateful. And if you're feeling super uppity and happy, why don't you go over to iTunes and give us a five-star review and write that dissertation because what else are you doing? We're in the middle of a global pandemic. So write and tell us all why you like the show. And if you don't like the show, just take a pass. You don't have to tell people about it. Someone had a real lot to say in the outro today. I'm real proud of you, girl. I'm proud of you. <laughs> also, you can follow me on Instagram at, at LMMarsh.com. You guys, I'm needy, okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to lie. You guys, I just want to wanna give you my social media handles, too. It's at Ellen Marsh on all the things because Ellen just needs more followers. So please help her. Just help. It's so sad. Help her. It's so sad. So don't forget, Ellen's social media handles are at Ellen Marsh and mine separately are at Ellen Marsh. Go and follow me there. Just follow me there. You're just, you're just like, you're giving away followers like people yep. give away airline miles. You guys Follow the podcast at at Ellen Marsh. Just go and follow it there. Also, follow Joe Biden at Ellen Marsh. Also, if you like music, follow Prince at Ellen Marsh. You guys, just go follow them. I'm going to hit you in the head with an accent chair. (laughs) Okay. All right, I love you. Bye. Love you. I know you got to remove the blackberries because they're hostile. Hostile vegetation. The hostile vegetation that is blackberries, you guys. You You know you got to live in fear of blackberries. You see blackberries on your property, you call somebody to clear that shit. Who knew? I I never knew I I was in such danger with blackberries. Blackberries. (laughs) They were the hostile ones, though, to be fair. (laughs) I'm a big fat dum-dum. I am am useless. Go on. Go on. I'm a dingbat. I'm a dingling. I'm a dipstick. I do know Maple Valley is six miles square because I have <laughs> Just like Breckenridge, honey. <laughs> like, that would be so funny in the movie where it's like a grumpy white old man. He's like, no. And the next one's like, right. no. And the next one's like, no. And the other one's like, okay, queen. You're going to have one. <laughs> you need a what? Can we get a one over here, honey? We're going to get 12 bad iTunes reviews just for that section. <laughs> 